James chapter number five, verse number 17. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're glad you're saved tonight, say glory. glory. If you're glad to be in the house of God, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. James chapter five, verse 17, it says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, tonight. Thank you, uh, Lord, for your grace and mercy and your love. Thank you for Calvary. Lord, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for paying for my sin debt. Lord, you took everything I owed, and God gave me something I didn't deserve. I'm so grateful for that tonight, Lord, so thankful for it. But Lord, help me not just to rejoice in my salvation, but Lord, help me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. God, help me to take that which you've given me, God, and use it for your glory tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you have it behind the cross of Calvary. I pray, Lord, you take your word tonight, work it deep down into our hearts. Lord, it's more than just a good message. God, it's more than just, uh, Lord, just good things to say. Lord, it is truth that can change the way that we live if we let it. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you'd speak to each and every individual heart in here tonight. Lord, every heart would be open, every ear would be open. God, to hear what you've prepared for them tonight. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, that we don't meet here in vain. We don't, we don't just come here to say a few things and go home. Lord, we simply come, Lord, to, one, to worship you and to praise your name, but, Lord, to see what you've prepared for us. Lord, thank you for being a God that loves us enough that you prepare things for us on a day-by-day basis, Lord. I'm glad that your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Your love is eternal. Your grace is sufficient. And God, there's nothing that you can't do tonight. Lord, we thank you for that. And we just love you. We thank you. Work in our hearts tonight, Lord. And we'll give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. James chapter 5, verse number 17. And then we'll eventually make our way over to 1 Kings 17 and down to 1 Kings 18 uh, tonight. But James chapter number 5, I've been going through the book of James, just reading it and just slowed down on purpose. Normally I try my best to cover a certain amount of portion of scripture and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord just had me slow down on the book of James. And I don't know how many weeks I've been sending devotions out of the book of James, but I've been enjoying it and been thankful for it. But I came to this, I read this the other day and I came across this verse or these verses right here speaking of Elijah. And before we started uh, some of the scriptures, we were dealing with the, 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 the subject of prayer. And I was reading this and I was reminded tonight that Elijah was a man whose prayers and his prayer life was on full display. It wasn't just a private prayer life that Elijah had, no doubt that he had that, but he prayed in such a way and he prayed prayers that the public noticed. He put the, the public on notice sometimes through his prayer life. And here James says, think about Elijah. Uh, Elias says, Elijah says, think about Elijah who was a man of subject to like passions as me and you are. And oftentimes we will take that verse and we'll, we'll try to make it an excuse verse. Well, you know, Elijah did the same things that I did. He had the same doubts that I had, the same discouragements that I had, the same hangups I had, the same problems I have, and no doubt Elijah was a man. You can read Elijah, or not Elijah, 1 Kings chapter number 19, and you'll be reminded that Elijah was a man. He was a man who had dealt with some of the same things we had, but this wasn't a, a, a verse that brings out an excuse, but rather it's an encouragement. In essence, that Elijah had the same problems that me and you had, and in spite of those, here's what Elijah did for God. Elijah was a man who was known uh, by his prayer life. He was known uh, as a man who had the power of God on him. And oftentimes you read his account, his, bi his biography and the scriptures. When Elijah showed up, sometimes they were scared when Elijah showed up. 
They didn't know what he was bringing with them. Was he bringing grace or judgment? Was he bringing help or was he bringing the wrath of God with them? And we see here tonight, and we'll look at this, but it says here that Elijah prayed for three years and six months that it would not rain on the, on, on, on in Israel or he doesn't, if, we'll look at tonight in, in 1 Kings 17 tonight, if you can go ahead and turn there, we'll see tonight that this James chapter five is an encouragement to have a prayer life like Elijah. This man who's known for great prayers, here's the interesting thing, of all the great prayers Elijah prayed, we only have one of them recorded in scripture. It's 1 Kings chapter number 18, he is calling out to God or he has set the, he has set the showdown that the God that answers by fire is the true and living God and Elijah prays and he, he tells the Lord God to show himself faithful and to bear his mighty arm and to show who the true and living God is and God answers by fire. One of the most ironic things to me about that is Elijah never asked for fire but God answers by fire and God shows himself faithful but in 1 Kings chapter 17 verse one we're introduced to Elijah He's Elijah the Tishbite, that's all we know about him, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, who's the king, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. According to my word, as the Lord God liveth, it's not going to, there's not gonna be any kind of dew or any kind, you gotta realize that's an enormous prayer. That's a big ask, so to speak. Now, it's one thing to, to ask God to hold back the rain, but God, hold back the dew. Now, we were at our, our, our summer camp, we were in Helen, and it was me, T.R., Brother Wayne, and Aiden in the cabin. And it was, I don't know what time at night it was, but Aiden woke me up. He said, preacher? I thought, oh, he's fixing to get saved. He's fixing to get called to preach. He's fixing to go to Mexico as a missionary. Just, you could hear the quiver in his voice. He said, preacher, I was going over the Romans road in my head. I was getting ready to lead him to the Lord and answer his spiritual questions. I said, yes, Aiden. He said, where does dew come from? <laughs> I said, I have no idea <laughs> how dew gets to where it is besides the fact that God puts it there. But here uh, Elijah says, he looks at Ahab and he says, there will, not, there will be no dew, nor there will be rain. Notice Elijah didn't say three years. He said these years. He said, until God tells me it's not going to rain, Ahab. That's an enormous prayer. But notice this, it's an elongated prayer. He didn't, he didn't put an end on it. He said, as long as it takes for you to notice and do you, for you to remember that God is the true and living God. As long as it takes. It's an enormous prayer. It's an elongated prayer. And I wrote it this way. It's an evangelical prayer. As the Lord God of Israel liveth. He said, Ahab, it will not rain until you come to your senses. And you, are, you remember that God is the true and living God. Now turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse number 41. The Bible says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and he put his face between his knees. And you get down to verse number 44 and it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a what? Great rain. 
Notice this, this is an, James is an encouragement to pray like Elijah. First Kings 17 shows us that it was a great prayer that Elijah prayed. But notice this, First Kings 18 tells us it's an answered prayer. They didn't get just a shower, they got a great rain. They got a great rain. But here's the thing, we gotta remember between 17 and 18, chapters there of 1 Kings, it's three and a half years. He prays the initial prayer to, for God to hold back the dew and to hold back the rain. And then three and a half years later, God answers that prayer. So you gotta realize between 17 and 18, there's a three and a half year span that Elijah was waiting for an answered prayer. For God to answer his prayer. And here's the thing, you read those chapters, Elijah didn't just pray the prayer, go sit down somewhere and say, I'm not doing anything else until God answers my prayer. No, we'll find out that 17 and 18 are packed full of things that Elijah did while he was waiting. So now I wanna preach on this thought, what to do while you're waiting. What to do while you're waiting for what? For God to answer your prayer. It's not just me and you pray and then we sit down and say, all right, Lord, I'm not doing anything else until you answer my prayer. Because we see that's not the model that Elijah gives us here in his life. We'll see five things tonight that Elijah did while he waited. Every Christian can remain faithful to the Lord while we wait for the answer to our prayer by noticing the following events that took place in Elijah's life while he waited on the Lord. Notice number one, Elijah found a secret supply. Elijah found a secret supply, 1 Kings chapter seven, verses two through seven. Verse number one, Ahab, it ain't gonna rain, ain't gonna be no dew for these years. Verse number two, and the, Lord of the, Lord, the word of the Lord came unto him who, Elijah saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook chariot that is before thee and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And I'm glad the Lord cleared it up in verse number six what the ravens were gonna feed him. He said, meat, flesh, and bread, because me and you know tonight that an average raven's diet is anything me and you want to eat. <laughs> I'm glad the Lord clarified that up for him, gave him Chick-fil-A chicken and honey buns. It's in the original text. Go study it out for yourself. But here, the, Elijah found a secret supply. Verse number one, what does Elijah say? It's not going to rain. There'll be no dew for three and a half years. If Ahab was a smart man, if Ahab was a normal man, so to speak, Ahab wasn't very smart at all. But if he was like me and you, if we knew that stuff was coming, what would we do? We'd hoard everything we have. We would take up everything that we think we're going to need because it's me against the world and I don't want anybody else to have more than what I have. King Ahab man went into panic mode. I need to get my hands on all the water and store it up. I've got to hold on to it because he said these years and if he really is the man of God, if he really is God's man, God's prophet, then it's not gonna rain for as long as until he says so. And I don't know how crazy Elijah is. I don't know if this is gonna be three days, three months, three years or 30 decades. I don't know, but we gotta get all our hands on everything. But here's the thing, Elijah didn't take the same approach that Ahab would have taken. Why? He got a word from the Lord. And the, word, the Lord told him, hey, go here, sit here, and I'll fi you'll find a supply that the world knows nothing about. 
that the world hasn't discovered yet, the world hasn't figured out yet, and that is what? That the Lord can supply in every situation and give us every need that we have tonight. God points Elijah to a supply. You gotta realize it was already prepared for him. God didn't go into panic mode. God didn't get, God didn't get upset and get worried about what am I gonna do with Elijah? Elijah's asked way too much for me. And so as the rest of the world is going into famine and drought, God plops Elijah right next to the brook Cherith and there's a running brook there. There's the ravens bringing in the, the flesh and the bread to Elijah and he finds out even though the rest of the world may be suffering and the rest of the world may be in panic mode that there is a secret supply that is designed and given to us by God tonight. We see it oftentimes in the Christian life. Twice a day we see God's concern for Elijah. He did this for him. The world was storing up. God's blessings were freely flowing into Elijah's life. We see his concern for Elijah. We see God's control over nature. I commanded the ravens to feed thee. Twice a day, the Bible says in the morning and in the evening, God would show his power over creation by directing those ravens to go find meat and to go find bread and they would drop it off for Elijah to eat. Can I say if I'm gonna eat anything out of the mouth of a bird, the Lord needs to be in it. There's just too many germs, too much that. I've been to the Columbia Zoo where you hold that little cup out and that what, what are those parakeets or whatever they are. I don't know what kind of birds they are, but they land all over you. Everybody gets excited about it. To me, it's kind of gross. <laughs> There's a, I remember my sister was little and we went there <laughs> and I don't know what she thought was gonna happen, what she was expecting to happen. I don't know if she thought the bird was gonna land there politely and nicely and she was gonna talk with the bird. The talk, I don't know what she was thinking. But she held that cup out and that bird landed right on her head and she lost it. But here's Elijah. He's being fed twice a day by the ravens. God shows his control over nature. But then notice this, God also shows his consistent power day by day by day. One day would have been enough for me, but here God does it day after day after day. Preacher, what's our secret supply? Well, you're sitting in it tonight. You ever thought about that? God has allowed me and you to be in a place tonight that he's consistently prepared things for me and you. We come here hungry. We come here. The rest of the world struggling and fighting. The rest of the world is trying to hoard everything together and God allows us to come to a place where his blessings flow freely through the place and we find out that God has something prepared for. The Lord is control and in control of this thing. Everything we do in here tonight is governed by the word of God. We come service after service and he feeds us from his word day after day, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, revivals, Sunday school, all all that stuff, we sit here and God says, oh, you thought I didn't have any more? Let me show you. I got some more for you. The world knows nothing about it. The world doesn't understand it. The world doesn't get it. And yet we come in here, the preacher preaches, the singers sing, and we walk out of here full. We walk out of here excited, challenged, and changed, and we go back out there. And so how do you do it? How do you keep going? How do you, how do you continue on with everything that's going on? Well, I got a secret supply. I got a secret supply. God has prepared a place for me that I can go and get help, and he's got things there for me. It's a place where God's power is displayed. Just this year alone, I was thinking about just this year alone, what we've seen inside of God's house. We've seen sinners get saved. We've seen families put back together. 
We've seen families set out to serve the Lord. We've seen people uh, get right with God. Families get restored. People get help. People grow in their faith. Can I say, I thank God for the secret supply or the brook of South Haven Baptist Church. Thank God for the brook called South Haven Baptist Church. Verse number seven, notice this, verse number seven in chapter 17, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. The brook dried up. Now, what did the brook do wrong? Nothing. The Bible tells us in verse number seven, because there had been no rain in the land. In essence, what me and you get here is wonderful. It helps us. It strengthens us. But if we get so comfortable in here that we no longer take what we get in here, out there, we're missing the purpose. It was not God's plan for Elijah just to sit by the brook Cherith and drink all the water, eat all the chicken, and eat all the honey buns, and get fat. God said, I've got something else for you. And so, how do you know that God has a way of leading me and you out of our comfort zone? Things that we used to hold on to, things that used to bless the fire out of us, things that we, we didn't think we'd get enough of, all of a sudden they begin to dry up, so to speak. We, we get saying, well, there's got to be more to this. That's exactly where we find Elijah as he moves on. Let me ask you now, are you just comfortable in church? Or is church at your place of refreshing so that you can go out and serve the Lord? Notice number one, Elijah found a secret supply while he was waiting for his prayer to be answered. Notice this, number two, there was a sacrificial sustainment that Elijah found while he was waiting for his prayer to be answered. First Kings 17, verse 10 through 16, Elijah finds out that quickly that not everybody has a brook cherith in their life. Not everybody is hanging around with the ravens feeding them. Matter of fact, Elijah finds out he's the only one. He's the only one that is, has been able to, to, to experience this. As he steps away from the brook, he walks into a town called Zarephath, and there he finds a widow woman who's just trying her best to survive. She's trying her best just to make it through. Elijah walks up to her and says, Ma'am, would you make me something to eat? Would you make me a couple cakes and, and that I may eat? And she explains the situation. She says, sir, I don't know where you've been at. I don't know where you've been hanging out at. I don't know what you've been going through and what you've been experiencing. But things around, it ain't rained. And I don't know how many days the crops are failing, the water's dried up, and I had some things saved up, but I keep looking at it. It's not going to be enough. Matter of fact, me and myself are going to make some cakes, eat them, and die. Doesn't that sound encouraging? Doesn't that sound like something we all want to be a part of? If I'd have been Elijah right there, I would have said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't mean to ask you for your last food. I didn't mean to ask you for your last meal. But Elijah says, well, go ahead and make them for me. <laughs> well, Elijah had faith. Here's the thing. Elijah's request isn't going to be answered with her excess, but with her last little bit. That's how our life works typically. We live and we live and we live and the longer we live for ourselves, the less and less we feel like we have. Our health is declining. Our stuff is decaying. Our money is depreciating. I remember thinking, <laughs> I remember thinking when I was little that you could, it was crazy that you could buy a McDonald's hamburger for five cents. Kids that are coming up now are gonna think that I was crazy when I said you could buy a McChicken for a dollar. Our money is depreciating. Everything this world has is going down the hill. Our, our lives aren't getting better by ourselves. 
Uh, we, we can't, we don't have enough ability to fix all that. And yet here comes the Lord saying, give me everything you have. And you step back and you say things like this, Lord, it ain't worthy of nothing. I don't have really anything to give. All I've got is a little bit. All I've got is, is what is left of what I've wasted. And the Lord says, I want that. I want that. And here's the thing. When you turn what little that you actually have over to the Lord, you'll find out he has a whole lot more than you ever realized. And yet if you hear that little woman in Zarephath testify, she would say things like this. The best thing I ever did was turn what little she had over to the man of God. The best thing she ever did for her and her boy was to go make those two cakes of meal. The best thing we'll ever do is to turn over what we have, even if it seems insignificant to the Lord. And notice this, when we turn over what we have to the Lord, we get all that he has for us. Last time I checked, last time I checked reading 1 Kings 17, the cruise of oil in the barrel of meal never ran out. I remember preaching this before. I remember it was on a Sunday morning. I can still hear y'all's mama shout. Because I preached about this thought, how the first day, they was probably amazed. There was still meal in the barrel, and there was still oil in the cruise. Second day, they were still amazed. Third day, amazed. Could you imagine three months later, son, go out of that barrel. You know it ain't gonna run out, God's faithful. Go get some oil. You know it ain't gonna run out, God's faithful. What a testimony they had. In essence, what they had never ran out this morning. Now listen, you can go to my pantry and you can go find my staple goods and they're gonna run out because I like to eat. But thanks be to God, God didn't give me a meal. God didn't give me oil. God gave me eternal life tonight and it's not gonna run out. It's not gonna fade. It's not gonna falter. I'm glad as, as the longer I live, the more I realize how great it really is. Notice this. In order for them to keep going back to it, it must have meant that the meal never got stale. The cornmeal, the, the flour never got stale. And the oil never turned sour. How we like to say it never ruined. It never went bad. Let me ask you tonight, when it comes to your opinion of your salvation, has it gone stale? Has it become sour to you? Well, it was once great when you first got saved. You just, ah, you know, I'm thankful that I'm saved, but it, it is what it is. I don't think this lady and her son ever got over the fact of what God did here. Have you come to a place in your Christian life where salvation has become stale and sour? May I remind you just how close you were to dying without Christ, without hope tonight when Jesus saved you. Where, where did Elijah find this lady and her son? One meal away from death. And then they turned that over to the Lord and the man of God and said, it's all we have, use whatever you can do with it. They found something that lasted their entire life. The same is true with our salvation tonight. It wasn't just good in the moment, it's good for the rest of our life. Elijah found a secret supply. Elijah found sacrificial sustainment as he waited for his prayer to be answered. Notice number three, what else did he find? There was a miraculous resurrection. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 20, or 17 through 24 tonight. Elijah leaves Zarephath with a full belly. Elijah must have been a Baptist. Everywhere he went, he was eating. <laughs> eating everybody else's food, too. Oh, makes me not feel as bad when y'all bake me things I ain't supposed to eat. Just trying to be a blessing. Just trying to be like a The Bible said model his prayer life. I'm over here modeling his eating habits. 
First Kings 17, 17 through 24, there was a miraculous resurrection. Verse number 18, Elijah, now he's left Zarephath. Now he comes to the home of the little lady that has prepared a part of her house for him, has taken the man of God in and been a blessing to him. Also, it came to pass these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick and his sickness was sore that there was no breath left in him. Look at verse number 18. The Bible said, she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come to call unto my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She looks at him and then notice there's, there's a stated misconception. What do you really, you've just come to, you've come to rub salt in my wound, haven't you, Elijah? You've come to tell me the reason why my son is dead is because I failed God. I didn't do what I was supposed to do and God is now taking it out on him. He is, he putting what should have been me and given to me, now he's put it on my son, now my son is dead. God is mad at me. God is ready to judge me. You've just come to tell me that, haven't you, Elijah? Here's the thing. Just get used to it tonight that me and you are often gonna be mislabeled as Christians in this world. They're gonna say things like this. Oh, you're nothing more than judgmental. You're nothing more than just a bigot, you're old-fashioned, holy roller, Bible thumper, self-righteous, arrogant. Here's the thing tonight. When I attempt to share my faith with somebody, when I attempt to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me, I'm not telling it as somebody who is better than anybody else. I'm just telling it as somebody who has experienced the grace of God and knows the change that he can make in somebody's life. And Elijah wasn't coming here in 1 Kings 17 to bring judgment to this lady's house. Really, God had sent him there with a specific reason and a mission. It was to show the mighty power of God in their life. We see the condition of the boy. Verse 18, it's noticed by others. They, they have realized this boy is not doing what boys are supposed to do. Look at verse 18. And she said, Elijah, excuse me, verse number 19. And she said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him up into the bosom and carried him up to a loft and where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. Verse number 17 tells us why he had to carry him because his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. It's noticed by others. It's apparent to himself. This boy knows his condition is bad. When he closed his eyes and lost his breath, he realized he was helpless by himself. Then we see the cry of Elijah, verse number 20. He cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? He stretched himself over the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Here's the thing, if Elijah was just there because what this lady said, he would have stopped at, at that first verse that we read. He would have said, Lord, you did bring judgment. Lord, you're righteous. Lord, you're holy. Lord, you do things that we don't understand. Lord, you do it in ways we don't understand. But Lord, I know you're right. And so if, it, if, that's, if that's the reason, Lord, then let it be. But he stops and appeals to the mercy and the grace of God and says, Lord, if you can, and Lord, if you're willing, would you please send life back into this child? Notice it, how many times did he do it? How many times did he stretch himself over the young boy? Three times. Why three times? Well, there's a great picture of, of the resurrection, no doubt. There's a great picture of Jesus rising out of the tomb. But here's what I took away from the night is sometimes you gotta go more than once. Sometimes you gotta share it more than once. How many wish, if I just shared it one time, I wish they would just get it, I wish they would just understand, but some people, some people, it takes them more than one time. 
Some people, it takes more than one conversation. It takes more than one presentation of the gospel. Now, is any man, is any man uh, obligated to have more than one chance? Well, obviously not, but thanks be to God that he's gracious. Thanks be to God that he's merciful tonight. I'm glad tonight, because here's the thing. I heard it over and over and over and over again. I thank God he was graceful in all those times, and he came again one more time and dealt with my heart. And we see that here in Elijah. It took him three times he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. Notice there was the cry of Elijah. There was a restoration of life. It took more than just one attempt. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came unto him again and he revived. Here's the thing. God answered that prayer, but he hadn't answered the big one yet. You ever been there? I mean, the Lord answered the prayer, but it wasn't the, the big one that you've been praying. It wasn't the big one that you needed and yet you had to step back and say thanks be to God that he still answers prayer even though it's not necessarily the big one that I want. Here's the thing, Elijah could have let his unanswered prayer consume him. I'm not doing anything else until God answers my prayer and God sends rain out of heaven. I'm not doing anything else until God gives me what I so desperately desire. Instead he took advantage of the situation to show others what God could do. Here's the thing, this boy didn't need rain. He needed life. Let <laughs> I me mean, ask you that. Which one's the bigger prayer? Which one really is the bigger prayer tonight? We see there's a miraculous resurrection. Notice number four, there was a serious revelation. Get into verse 18, chapter 18 of 1 Kings. <laughs> Elijah runs into a man by the name of Obadiah. And he tells Obadiah, go tell, Eli go tell Ahab that I'm coming to see him. And Obadiah says in no less terms, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. That old Ahab, he's crazy. <laughs> His wife's crazy. He's crazy. They're all crazy. I don't want to do that. Elijah says, go tell him that, and, and I'll be there shortly. I'm going to show up verse number 17 in chapter number 18. And the Bible says that Elijah approaches Ahab, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Here's the thing. Ahab hasn't spoke to Elijah since Elijah said, Hey, it rain, no, do, it ain't happening. Till God says so. That was, that was where Elijah left Ahab. And now at verse number 18, verse number 17, chapter 18, Elijah shows up and Ahab says, are you he that troubleth Israel? First of all, Ahab has an incorrect accusation. He tells him, are, are Elijah, the man of God, I mean, here's the thing, if, if Ahab would have been with Elijah and walked with Elijah, he would have realized Elijah was God's man. Elijah has prayed a young man back to life. Elijah has, has allowed God to provide miraculous for that widow woman and her son. But now here comes Ahab with, I can see Ahab, pride swelling in him, arrogance beaming off of him. Elijah, why are you causing all this trouble in Israel? It's all your fault, Elijah, because you caught off the rain. You caught off the dew. Here's the thing. That word trouble means to disturb, to stir up. In essence, what Elijah prayed made Ahab uncomfortable. He didn't like it. Why? Because you can't live the party life. You can't live that, that fleshly life, that carnal life. We don't have the means to live it. All that's dried up. You got to realize uh, this is biblical days. If there's no crops, there's no money. If there's no crops, there's no finances. Ahab can't finance his lavish lifestyle and his fleshly desires when there's no money. Excuse me. Elijah hasn't troubled Israel. He's troubled Ahab. And Ahab don't like it. And so Ahab accuses, are you the one 
who's troubled Israel. And I love Elijah's response. There's no apology. There's no, King Ahab, I'm sorry that you feel that way. There's no quick retreat. He doesn't just drop behind us. Well, man, Ahab's mad at me. I've got to get away from him. I, I, I've got to go hide somewhere. Lord, where's the next brook at? No, Elijah just drops the truth right on him. Look at verse number 18. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth, excuse me, I'm reading the wrong verse, verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou, you, you Ahab, in thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and have, thou hast followed Balaam. He said, it ain't, it ain't my fault, it's your fault. Because you know the truth, Ahab, you know the reality, you know what's right, and you've chose to follow otherwise. And here's the thing, we all clap for, for Elijah. Way to tell the truth, Elijah. When you tell the truth, you better be ready for a showdown. You better be ready for a showdown because that's what happens next. One of the most famous parts of Elijah's life is that showdown between the one prophet of God and the 400 prophets of Baal on the Mount Carmel. And here's the thing, you're gonna tell the truth, tell it because it's right, but just be prepared for a showdown. And there's a significant showdown in, in verses 21 through 49, but we see the inability of Baal. They, 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 they make the, the, the standards, they, they bring up the regulations of the showdown. The first one to answer by fire, whether it's Baal or the living God, the first one to answer by fire is the true and living God, is the real God. It's simple. So all 400 of those prophets of Baal begin to pray unto Baal. Oh, Baal, would you send fire? Baal, would you send fire? The Bible says they started early in the morning. At noontime, there's been no answer. The Bible says they get so serious, they begin to cut themselves. They begin to mutilate themselves as a way to sacrifice unto Baal and to show Baal they're serious. And Elijah steps back and says, I don't think he can hear y'all, boys. I think you might need to pray louder. I think you might need to say it more. Part of your God's too busy for you. And finally, they go on, they go on, and they go on. And Elijah says, you've had your chance. Your God ain't, ain't gonna answer because your God ain't real. Your God don't have that kind of power. Your God can't do that. So Elijah says, it's my turn now. And the first thing Elijah does, not only does he prepare that altar, but what does the Bible say he does? He goes and gets barrels of water. And the Bible says he soaks the altar twice, completely through and through with water. Let me give you a quick science, science lesson. Water and fire don't mix. If you're gonna start a fire, you're gonna have something dry. You gotta have something that is, that, is, that is not wet, not moist, because if there's any moisture, you're not gonna get any fire. And it's hard enough sometimes just to get the dry stuff to light. How many of you campers remember that flint and steel at camp with the, the lint? And we, some of y'all got it right away. Some of y'all, you persevered through, and I'm proud of you. But I'm not taking you on a wilderness survival camp out. <laughs> We're going to die. But Elijah, well, why, why would Elijah do that? I mean, he already had the animal on the altar, right? Why would he soak it with water? Because at that time, water was the highest commodity they had. The most expensive thing they had. Why? It ain't raining in three years. Ain't been no dew. Water's running out. Here comes Elijah with two barrels of it, and he's pouring it on the altar. Why? He was showing everything was the Lord's. He was giving everything back to God tonight to show him how much he cared. 
And my favorite part, like I said, I mentioned tonight, Elijah prays. I want it's either 27 words or 37 words. Never ask for fire. God answers by fire, licks up the whole thing. And then Elijah takes off and kills all 400 of them prophets. Elijah was a man. <laughs> Elijah wasn't scared. At least not right now, he wasn't. He wasn't fearful at this moment in his life. The fire comes down from heaven. I think in our Christian life, a lot of times we, we know the truth, we believe the truth, but we're afraid to stand for it, not because we don't believe it to be true, but we're afraid of the showdown. We're afraid of the, the recoil. We're afraid of the reverb that might be thrown back our way. Think about it here in America. A couple weeks ago, they, they turned over Roe versus Wade, something that every Christian ought to celebrate, ought to be thankful for, ought to rejoice ever, ought to step back and say, we've prayed for over 45 years to God, for God to let that happen. For God to make those, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be, be to step back and say, I, I, I'll just keep my mouth shut here. Hey, God is for life tonight. Well, preacher, what about those situations? What about, what about those situations that are unideal? What about those situations that, 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 that we ought to make an exemption for? Let me ask you tonight, what life is not valuable to God? And if we only took those that were born into perfect circumstances, none of us would be here tonight. None of us were. Here's the thing. It also reminds me of how, 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 how disgusting and how depraved, depraved sin really is tonight. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. To say that God couldn't use somebody who was born in an unideal situation, who was born into a family that wasn't perfect, who was born because of a sin or because of an act of crime, to say that God doesn't care for them and he'd rather have them dead is not doing God justice. God loves them and God can use them. What a testimony that would be for the glory of God. Let me ask you, are you afraid to tell the truth? Not because you don't believe it, but you're just scared of the recoil that might come from it. You don't want to face the possible showdown. Here's the thing. When you and, you and I stand on truth, it's not just our ability we're standing on. It's not just our education we're standing on. We are standing on God's word. And God will defend you because God will always defend his word. And God will show himself faithful to you. There was a serious revelation. It wasn't Elijah's fault. It was Ahab's. And notice number five. There is special discernment. Look down in verse number 41 of chapter number 18 of 1 Kings. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. To say Ahab had no clue is an understatement. Ahab missed the boat, he missed the ocean, he missed all of it. He, he, he had no grasp, no idea what was going on. He couldn't discern his own spiritual condition. He thought as a child, uh, as an Israelite, as, one, as a child of the covenant of God, he was off serving Balaam. And he thought he was okay with that. He couldn't discern the spiritual condition of his country. He didn't realize that country that God had given him, he was leading in the wrong direction and reading, leading in, in the wrong paths in the wrong ways and he didn't see anything wrong with it. He couldn't discern his own condition, the spiritual condition of his country. And here's the thing, he couldn't discern the movement of God either. Elijah walks up to him and he said, you got to realize, like we read this like Elijah just kind of strolled into his palace and said, hey, uh, Ahab, just want to let you know I, I can hear the rain. 
You read the verses right before, what did Elijah just get done doing? Killing 400 prophets of Baal? The Bible said he slew them. I don't think that was a clean process. <laughs> Here's that wild-eyed, crazy prophet of God covered in blood, walking into Ahab's, wherever Ahab is, and says, hey, get up, boy. I hear rain. Now, let me ask you, we're from the south tonight. You can see the rain out there. You can smell the rain. How many of y'all look down the distance and I can hear that? Y'all hear them raindrops out there? Raylan, if I just stood up one day and I said, you know what, honey? I can hear the rain 400 miles away. Do you think your daddy lost it? Yeah, she said, it don't take that much, dad. <laughs> Elijah says, get up, Ahab. Eat, drink. I hear rain coming. Why? Elijah was in tune with God. He said, I, I believe God's fixing to answer my prayer request. Y'all might want to get ready for it. <laughs> Elijah was saying, there's spiritual discernment. Ahab could have, but thankfully Elijah could. There was persistent checking, and they go down. Ahab goes and starts eating and drinking because that crazy man told him to do that, and he killed 400 people. I better do what he tells me to do. And the Bible says that Ahab goes and starts to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. The Bible says he puts his hand between, or his head between his legs and he begins to pray and seek the Lord. And he goes to the servant and he tells the servant, hey, now go look and see if you see the rain. I can hear it. Go tell me if you can see it. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful picture of faith, right? We live by what we hear. But one day our faith will be made what? Sight. And so he sends them. And that servant goes up there, he looks out, doesn't see anything, comes back to Elijah and says, Elijah, I don't know what you're hearing, but I ain't seeing no rain out there. He said, well, go check again. So he goes and checks again, and again, he comes back with the same report over and over again. The Bible said seven times he sends him to go and see if the rain's coming. He goes the seventh time, looks out there, and he sees a cloud on the distance. The Bible said it looks like a man's hand. He goes back to Elijah and he says, Elijah, uh, there's something different. I'm seeing a hand out there. It's a cloud. It looks like a hand. Elijah said, that's him. That's him. He's bringing the rain, boys. Get ready. It's fixing the rain. I told you for, th for these years it wasn't going to rain, but God's fixing to let it loose. Y'all better get ready. There was special discernment. There was a powerful answer. Verses 45, and it came to pass in the meantime, the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. There was an answered prayer three and a half years later. Here's the thing. James said, go look at Elijah's prayer life. He prayed earnestly for three and a half years that it would not rain. And then he prayed and it did rain. And no doubt, here's the thing. We have none of Elijah's prayers recorded about that. All we have is where he stood and told Ahab, hey, God said it ain't gonna rain. Ain't gonna be no dew. He says it's going to. Then we have down here in verse number 45, hey, y'all, God said it's gonna rain. Get ready. But somewhere through all of that, Elijah consistently, the Bible said he earnestly prayed for it. And we see the answer here tonight. But what we also see in, Ahab, or in Elijah's life is that he did not let an unanswered prayer stop him from serving the Lord. And as he waited for God to answer the prayer that he so desperately desired and wanted, we see what he continued to do for the Lord. Aren't you glad tonight that God can answer our prayers in a mighty way? 
The Bible said he sent a great rain to where Elijah was. But let me ask you now, are you willing to serve Elijah like, are you willing to serve God like Elijah did while you wait for him to answer your prayer? Elijah didn't sit still and just wait for God to answer. Elijah got up, prayed, God, if today's the day, give me some discernment. Let me know you're about to bring the rain. But if not today, Lord, I'm still gonna serve you. Whatever you have planned for me today, Lord, that's what I'm gonna do. Can I say tonight, while me and you wait for God to answer our prayers, let us be faithful to continue to serve him.